0: This is Ronnie at Everything Virtual. Uh, today we have an interview, a special guest on the show. Uh, Derek Ham is with me today. He is the founder and designer uh, at Logic Grip. Uh, he sent. They sent us over uh, some of their prototypes for a peripheral that they're releasing called the Axe One. It is. It's. Ba- I'll let him kind of do. Do most of the explanation but it's essentially uh, a peripheral that attaches to the outside of the either the oculus quest or the oculus rift s controllers and allows the controllers not only to have kind of a, a beefier grip but then also has magnets on the top and bottom of the controllers that that you know al- lets you align them together in, in kind of a locked fashion um but yeah i Thanks for coming on the show, Derek, and if you want to explain better than I did you know what your company and what your product's all about.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. So one of the things that we like to make sure that we tell people is that we are first a peripheral company, um, and everything stems from the idea of looking at existing hardware, seeing where the limitations are, and where could we have affordable options to push gameplay and to push the immersion a little bit uh, further. So that's exactly how the axe one our first product was was formed playing with controllers and facing just a a very simple frustration of not being able to hold certain objects like swords or shovels um, with two hands Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. having to have that awkward crossed wrist and all these other things that gamers do to kind of simulate what it's like to hold something on axis and so after several months of prototypes and working with the concept, uh, that's where we are today.
0: Okay, and awesome. And and I mean, what's your background as far as as creating peripherals or creating products like this? Like, it, was this something that you're you're a VR gamer and you saw a problem and you went about finding a way to fix it, or did you was this something that kind of came naturally to you given what you do?
1: Well, for me, it's a little bit of a combination of of things. Uh, there's a parallel side to Logic Grip, which is called the Mixed Reality Lab at North Carolina State University, where I'm actually a professor in the Department of Graphic and Industrial Design. Okay. And we're always telling my students to think beyond the boundaries of any design problem and not to let any limitations stop you. So don't stop at the, the threshold of programming. Don't stop at the threshold of a product. Um, whatever the full system needs to be furthered, that's where you apply design skills and design thinking. So for me, uh, the work that Logic Grip is doing is an extension of this lab that is constantly questioning where are the boundaries to VR gameplay and even in some cases, AR gameplay. And so the Axe One came from that initial frustration of saying, well, if I want to hold a sword, um, how could I hold it in VR what would it feel like? How do I have the flexibility to lock my hands on Axis? And when that question was asked, I started to realize There are several interactions in VR that aren't even created because of the awkwardness that a two-hand hold would give. Mm -hmm. And so the prime example I say is, I dare anyone to find me a VR game in which you are holding a shovel and digging. Mm -hmm. I have been pressed to find one. I think the fundamental problem is um, the controllers kind of presume a certain type of interaction. And that's why we see um, so many games that are just about either holding two swords or holding two guns. They're fun, mm-hmm. but I think VR, we could do so much better if we could integrate uh, more user experiences and not at the the expense of the consumer.
0: Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And I mean, one of the things I noticed right away when I first put the X1 on my controllers and just even outside of the game, just kind of played around with linking them, you know, top and bottom and, and just wanted to see how it felt and yeah, the magnets you use are really strong. It, they really feel like they're strong, but at the same time, easy enough to kind of, you know, break apart if you need to use both of your hands. But I, I just felt like when they were connected, I, I got a sense that I was really, you know, holding a new type of, uh, you know, I was holding a different type of object than I'm used to holding in VR. And, and it, it felt quite a bit different.
1: Yeah, and there's there's something about that magic snap that I think could open the door. Once again, at a, something that costs relatively cheap um, for the consumer, but for the storytelling side and the game telling side, thinking about all the possibilities now that what you could do once those controllers are locked in like that um, to just open up so many different new new interactions for that so I'm glad you, re- you resonated with this the same and I, I have to say just on the surface of the actual form there have been people who've commented that uh, they appreciate that the the bottom of the oculus touch controller is now extended a little bit mm-hmm. and somewhere about a, about an inch and a half more the current uh, touch controllers they almost stop midway in your palm mm-hmm. and, for some people, it just feels a little bit awkward of having them that short. Yeah. So just ergonomics of having a little bit more length to them. A lot of people have commented like, oh my goodness, they just feel a little bit better.
0: Yeah, and even the weight. Like it's one of those things, like I said, I. I, I'm not exactly sure where I fall in terms of how heavy I want my controllers how wide like I'm still you know some of this stuff it takes a while to kind of figure out what feels just right for you but like I one of the things that I when I I think when I first tried the new controllers for for the the quest and the rift s I did feel like they were a little bit small and a little bit light and yeah one of the things that that the ax1 does it definitely makes it a little bit wider and, and longer and, and it just felt a little bit more substantial in some of the games I was playing.
1: Yeah. And I think consumers, if you start to see the direction of even the peripheral market, I'm seeing two directions. I'm seeing there are those who are wanting to have the, the controllers feel completely weightless and there are, you know, products that strap onto the hand almost um, to give that illusion similar that where we see with um the valve, mm-hmm. uh, the knuckles, you know, mm-hmm. push the Oculus Rift to kind of feel weightless. Mm-hmm. We are very clear on that that's not our product. Our product is about holding that anchored feeling. And I think at the end of the day, you're gonna match that type of peripheral to the types of experiences that you're playing. And so, as we've just pointed out, there's, this could just potentially open up um, a wide range. If I wanted to hold a shovel in VR, I wouldn't want to feel weightless. I would want to feel like I'm holding something that has some strength. And even the name Axe-1 1 suggests one of our um, our primary prototypes that we built internally just to play around. Swinging around a giant axe feels really nice with the Axe-1 as opposed to the feeling of weightlessness.
0: Yeah, no, it's interesting you mentioned that because, yeah, with the index controllers, for example, uh, that Valve released, I mean, one of the things that uh, is interesting about those is that I do think people have their preferences in terms of, like, obviously when you're designing something, you know, you, you do your best to to test with the, the largest amount of people, different hand sizes, try to get something that more or less fits the general, you know, consumer that's going to be using the product. But there's always kind of fringe cases or people have their... Pre- it seems like in VR, a lot of those preferences tend to stick out a little bit more. And so yeah. you see people kind of going out of their way to make you know, the, the valve controllers a little bit wider for them using 3d printing because, you know, they, they, they feel like it's too thin or, or, or a little bit heavier or this or that with all these different. And so, yeah, I I just think it's fascinating that VR in particular lends itself to being, you know, being something that people are, are willing to experiment with and, and create different types of peripherals for. Um, Yeah, it's it's I I guess I guess part of that, too, is just the fact that a lot of these interactions that you're doing in VR are so much more personal. And so they they do make big differences. Like you really can change the, the 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 feeling that you get from playing a game by by attaching the controllers together, like using a peripheral like yours. That's something I don't think that really is quite possible with other types of controllers out there.
1: Yeah, and and then the other thing I'd like to say, what makes I think our peripheral a little bit special is that we're already thinking ahead uh, beyond the existing use case with the magnets of what a person would want to mod their controller for, and so. Having those magnets set at a, with a thread mm-hmm. to allow you to screw them out, to potentially screw new types of things into them. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to screw in a long extension bar or if you wanted to ex- extend, put a bar in the center to make the, the famous uh, Beat Saber uh, Darth Maul mode yeah. peripheral with the threads – would begin to open those markets up for, for a person to mod it, to just screw on other things to it. And so we're already thinking kind of in that future phase of giving pers- someone a product that they could further customize either through us with other things that we'd be selling or even frankly on their own.
0: Yeah, I, just curious because I don't have a, a background in 3D printing or or creating products like this. I mean, what, what was the process like? Did you have to scan the controllers in... To the computer, and then and then use that to create a like a CAD model or something like. What? Yeah. How do you so- go go about creating something like this?
1: So, Oculus was kind enough to developers when they did the CV1 to provide the 3D model of them on their developer site. Okay. And I don't think a lot of people took advantage of that. So, the first generation that we were building, our first prototypes were all on the CV1. And it was interesting that when the 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 Rift S was released and, of course, the Quest with the new controller... Uh, the first month or so, it presented a challenge because we were focused on some uniform, universal form that would fit both the CV1 as well as the Crust and, and, and Rift S. Sure had to make a executive decision a little bit early to say, you know what, it's, maybe it's a little bit too hard to try to make them both work, especially if the future is going to be on this new form factor. Mm-hmm. So for now, we kind of tabled that and went all hands on deck with the new model uh, that we've built off today. And that just kind of opened up so much on the form factor uh, of what we could do.
0: Yeah, no, and I think it was a good decision taking into account the fact that you know, there's a shared controller now across all Oculus systems. And yes. really, really, in a lot of ways, the touch controllers are kind of, I think, the de facto standard that is leading the way on a lot of the other controllers as well. So,
1: And the thing for me that's um, solidified it is when I looked at, and this was before they released, um, the Vive Cosmos, um, looking at their controller, even though we aren't officially we haven't officially said that we are making it for that. Mm-hmm. The form factors are so similar that when we feel comfortable enough to expand our model to accommodate that headset, there's not that much that needs to be changed. Um, we'd have to check out the dimensions, but like you said, we're now seeing VR approach a universal form factor for controllers.
0: No, that's awesome. And I mean, obviously one of the things with peripherals, in, in VR you see you know, more of a willingness to adopt different types of peripherals but at the same time, you know, we are kind of a smaller community at this point. What are your thoughts on making on, on doing what you can to get this in as many people's hands as possible and 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 how do you see how do, how do you see adoption rates kind of taking off in VR for peripherals like yours?
1: Yeah, well, one of the challenges, and I have plenty of the friends in the the field who are just on the content-making side, and as they jokingly remind me, like, hey, man, we're just trying to make ends meet just on selling uh, titles just as they are. I'm not sure if I want to ostracize a group of people to say, oh, and by the way, to really play this title, use this peripheral device. So. I, to, the one answer I always say to that is we're making sure that this product and future products are going to be with the consumer in mind. So we're we're never going to, I don't ever see ourselves, at least now, creating any type of peripheral that extends over a $40 mark. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of like the magic number that we've pushed around internally and hopefully to drive things down even further mm-hmm. to creating $20, $30 attachments to to add to experiences. But beyond that, I think people will gravitate towards the peripherals, especially one, those that are like ours that offer a new type of gameplay because we're starting to see pretty soon, um, the experiences that are just categories of holding two guns and holding two swords, Mm -hmm. it's going to tap out pretty soon. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And people always want something new. The consumer wants what's new, what's exciting. And if a year from now, it's still just two guns and two swords, Um, I think we'll lose a big market and that's what I think the consoles had figured out early on is that they had to have so many different types of games. You had to have your first person shooter, your, your platformer, your so many different types of games. And I'm already seeing VR form these two kind of buckets. And so with that becomes a redundant user experience. And so I think with the peripheral, you're going to see, hopefully, if we get more developers out there really interested in, this, in checking this out to see instead of just adding it on top, you could create a complete unique um, experience for your, your market and your, your players out there that would beat up your competition.
0: Huh. No, that's that's really interesting, and I mean, as far as I know, you, I was looking at your site. It looks like you guys have a developer program. I mean, for we happen to have a lot of developers that listen to our show, so I didn't know if you wanted to kind of pitch to them, kind of what you're offering in the in the Logic Rip developer program and what they would potentially get in order to kind of assist them with anything that they're making.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So our developer program, we're sending out. Um, a, a 3D printed version of the Axe One. Uh, and also with that that order, you would be getting the final version when we launch next spring. So that's kind of exciting. We wanna like partner with you and stay with you. Uh, originally, we launched it at a $50 price point that would embed and, and give everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, What we're gonna be doing very quickly, probably by the time this is released, is we're slashing that price down because simply we want it in more hands. Mm -hmm. And so bringing that down to $30 would hopefully even open up a little bit more and just trying to get the product out. We're also gonna be testing out very soon a version of the Axe One that doesn't have magnets at all, that just uses a plug and lock system. Hmm. And a plug and lock system is really interesting because, one, it, it it is a little bit lighter, but then also it, it's, a, it's a stronger even connection than the magnets um, because that plug kind of locks in. You, you do lose a little bit in kind of being able to completely be blindfolded to kind of let the magnets guide their way. Mm-hmm. But our initial user test has found by doing it just a few times, you get used to know exactly where that plug is, and you can just snap it in and pull it out. Uh, so we're going to be constantly – tuning our products and listening and getting feedback. But we, at the end of the day, yes, we want more developers out there testing it. And not just to say, Hey, this is some type of aesthetic to put on my VR experience to say, what would you do? How would you design your game differently? If it required your user to hold your hands on access, like a sword, like a, like a shovel, like an, or a hockey stick, you name it, having mm-hmm. that unique Handheld position. How would your stories and games be played differently?
0: Hmm. No, that's really interesting. And as far as I, I know, you mentioned that the, uh, the consumer version is set to be released in the near future. Uh, what are some of the differences that you anticipate uh, with the consumer version versus what has, is currently being sent out to developers?
1: Well, one of the things that we're, we're comparing right now is the difference between what I'm calling this plug and lock adapter versus the magnetized okay, one. yeah, yeah, okay. And that's, that's going to be the, the huge question for us of what do we want product one, the real product to be. Understood. Both products are finished off in the plastic. We've kind of completely nailed down with, with vendors, and we're happy to say, at least for the first batch, that we found a, a decent price point to be made in the USA, Okay, and so it's going to be really nice for, us. we'll add that story on our website as time comes when we, we talk about that production process. But sure. the finishing is very similar to what we, we see in the finishing of the, the, the Rift controllers, kind of match that vibe. And the thing that was most interesting, and we were out at the Oculus Developers Conference um, earlier in the fall. Sure. And the thing that shocked me, we've been been experimenting with colors, but we thought most consumers would be conservative, wanting a black or gray. Mm -hmm. Every single person has said, "Keep the colors. We want both (laughs) colors." So we—that's one thing that we will definitely keep. You will either see it launched in a very strong. We haven't decided yet which color. Um, We might even go through a voting system. Yeah. Me. This is. We're going all the way. It's not going to be black or gray. We're going colors here.
0: No, that's exciting, and it's exciting to hear that you guys are looking for ways to, you know, produce it other than like most of the peripherals out there right now are are only three D printed even at the like when they hit the consumer market. So it, it'll be nice to kind of see something that is you know super polished, something that you could potentially just leave on your controllers all the
1: time, and you don't
0: have yes. to worry about it, you know, scuffing anything up or anything like that. Hopefully. That, that that sounds really, really nice.
1: Yeah, there's something about holding something that's injection molded versus a 3D printer that's just night and day. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, it the cost is so much higher, but we feel it's a risk worth taking to just get our product out there.
0: Yeah, so I mean, just curious, because along the same lines, you alluded to it earlier, kind of the marketing kind of challenges around uh, getting peripheral adoption. I mean, what if I noticed that was one of the first things I noticed when I, when I received the box from you guys that your, all of your packaging is really, really well done. It's super polished. I mean, what are, what are, what are, what did you have experience mar- making a product like that yeah. before?
1: <laughs> so as I said, I might, that's my home base. I'm, I'm a faculty member here in graphic design and graphic and industrial design. So thinking about design systems all the way even to a prototype box, we understand the importance of putting a good foot forward, and that even impacts someone's thought process about if they like your product or not. So we, we use even the things for our developer program shipping out, all the boxing, all the everything that we put together, we make sure that it presents the company in good light, but also allows us to test internally what resonates with future consumers. Um, one of the, the things that I, can, I will say here on, on, on your cast is that we've decided that when we do launch this first uh, project in the spring, um, we will also be releasing a polished demo game to go with it. Because we feel who better can show exactly how the Axe 1 should be played with than ourselves. So I've even expanded the team a little bit to accommodate that so that when we're ready to launch in the spring, day one, you won't have to rely on Vader Immortal, which is a great game to play with our device, and some of the other games. But we want to show you internally with a nice polished demo game, this is what the Axe 1 in its glory would feel like and should feel like.
0: Very cool. You just kind of answered one of my last questions because yeah, I was curious what games would be available that worked with the peripheral at launch. And and that, that, that sounds like a great idea. As far as, I mean, as far as developers that want to reach out to you to try to, uh, you know, apply for the kit, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Yeah, just visit logicgrip.com and there's all the information about our developer program, um, contact information, and we would just love to hear from you and keep partnering with, with new people as they see our product in action.
0: No, that's that's amazing, and then, yeah, I guess I, that's that's kind of the end of our discussion of the X1. I I, I think what you guys are doing are what you guys are doing is awesome. Uh, just before we end, since we have a little bit more time, I was just kind of curious in, as to how you got involved with the Mixed Reality Lab that you that you mentioned and, and kind of how you got
1: started in VR,
0: because that sounds yeah. like a really fascinating journey in and of itself.
1: Sure. I have a very strange and winding background. Um, years ago, I was in the field of architecture. I actually did my master's at Harvard in the Graduate School of Design, and worked in the field of architecture for several years and even taught a little bit before I decided that I was more interested in the tools that we use to talk about um, space and design experiences than I was in the actual physical built environment. Mm -hmm. So um, years passed and I ended up at MIT for a PhD program in something called design computation. And it was during that time where I was working on my PhD that the uh, Oculus Rift Kickstarter took off, and I was a student, and I was able to get a, a lab that I was working for to get it, and that kind of changed my life instantly, as most VR um, developers have said, and the same was with me. I put that first um, developer from kit from from Oculus on my head, mm-hmm. and metaphorically, it never came off. It was magical it was <laughs> magic me. The thing that changed was that when I started uh, my faculty position at North Carolina State, I, I was first on the content side. And I've made things like a VR apiary for B training. I've uh, done a history piece called I Am A Man that won some, a few awards, taking you back into the civil rights through VR. Huh. But through my constant con- con- consumption of VR and my developer um, had Thinking about what new story to tell or new um, experience to make, I realized very quickly that my user experience became started to become very redundant. And it was a random thought in my head when I was holding a sword in my Oculus Home, um, that that home screen where you can walk around and fiddle with objects. And I was in my mind pretending to be Liono from the lion- from the Thundercats. And I <laughs> swung my sword around, thunder, thunder, and I went to grab it for two hands. And I was like huh, that's interesting and snap to the other hand. And that was the first time I realized that, what's wrong here? Why can't I hold it with two hands and wield it and hold it above my head? Yeah. That came this itch that I said, I have to scratch this thing and started me on sketches and, and early 3D prints. And that was the beginning um, from a world of architecture into VR, into content creation, and just seeing an opportunity and saying, hey, let's fix this thing.
0: Yeah, no, one of the amazing things about VR is just the, the flexibility that it provides. It really lets you, it lets developers create different types of experiences that just wildly vary from one to another. And I, I think it's, it's super awesome and very commendable that you're trying to find ways of expanding those options that developers have and, and users have even more.
1: Yeah, thanks, man.
0: Yeah. So, well, thank you again. Yeah. I, I really appreciate it. And I, I hope to hear more about, uh, you know, the release of the consumer version and I, yeah, we talked about developers, but, uh, for, for consumers out there that are, are, are waiting for the release of the consumer version. I mean, that, that, I guess that's one thing I want to say before we end our discussion is for, for people out there that haven't tried different types of peripherals in VR, uh, like we're discussing now, I really think it, in a lot of ways peripherals can be game changers because they can allow you to experience something that just feels like a completely different type of experience than what you're used to in vr i mean i've 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 had a chance now to use the axe one and it's great i can't wait to try that with you know some of the with the, the the demo that you you mentioned you guys are going to be releasing with the consumer version i mean i've tried various gun stocks and like Regardless of the peripheral, I I think the more peripherals that VR can support, the better because each one in and of itself is like a brand new game. It's not even just yeah. you know it's not it's not just a peripheral. It's 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 like a brand new experience in and of itself.
1: We agree. You get it. We that's our mission. Absolutely. Oh, that's awesome.
0: So so yeah. So as as far as the consumer side, if 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 listeners are out there, they're not developers, but they just want to know when to when to reach out so that they could potentially order something like this when should they be be, be looking out
1: i would say be on the lookout for spring 2020 um also Keep, um, I would say, follow Logic Grip on both Twitter and Instagram. We have some applications out for some of the the festivals, game festivals that are happening and conferences happening in the spring. And so as those results come out, hopefully, knock on wood, that we'd, we'd get into some of these shows and be able to be in person at some of these places. But for that consumer version, we're still targeting for a spring 2020. So just stay. Um, follow us on instagram follow us on twitter and facebook and that's where we're split splash the latest news
0: awesome all right well thanks again derek and uh yeah we'll be in touch and, and and continue to follow up with with logic grip just to see you know kind of how you guys progress now and into the spring
1: thanks a lot man
0: all right take care everyone